If you were saying what I was saying a few moments ago, you ever see an angel play a piano? I could almost certainly say that those fingers were not earthly going across those ivories. Whew, the glory be to God, somebody. God is awesome. I'm telling you. Where are we now? Things are not the same in Jerusalem right now. We're in Acts chapter 1. The greatest event that took place was about to come to an end. And what these 12 men have to do They won't have to do it alone. Because the very same thing that you're singing about, let it ring. God was about to. And as they stand on the Mount of Olives, you're going to see something so amazing. Something that has never happened in the history of man. Never. You're going to see the Son of God do something that's literally going to shake up the foundations of hell once again. And I'm telling you, this is a new era in the beginning of the life on earth. Life would never be the same because God's son Jesus came and he prepared men to do a work that's so far beyond what the leaders of Israel could have ever imagined. And their works will literally change the world. And so Mark is there on this hillside Everything that they had learned, everything that they've been through with the master was about to come to an end as far as him being with them in person. But they didn't understand the depths of what God was about to do. And the Son of God himself said, on the night in which he was betrayed, 40-something days earlier, he said, listen, if I don't go away, the Comforter will not come. He said, but it's to your advantage that I go away. Now, you know that had to be pretty amazing, didn't it? In order for someone to give even a greater advantage than what Jesus had given them. This had to be something. Let's see what God has in store. As he began a new preaching sermon on the Acts of the Apostles. 
let's see what the Holy Spirit has for us. Let's pray first. Father, we come to you now. In the precious name of your son, Jesus. Lord God, you made this possible. That night in Jerusalem, when you pierced the darkness with your son, Jesus. And Father, for the next 30 years, you groomed him. And you prepared him to come out from Nazareth and enter into a new era upon the earth. He began to usher in your eternal kingdom. And as he began to preach your gospel to a people who had never heard words like this before, he said, repent now. Repent of your sins now. For the kingdom of God is at hand. They had never heard that before. Other than through John the Baptist, but never out of the mouth of God. And from that moment forward, he began to perform signs and wonders to prove to the world, especially to the world of darkness, that he's your son. And then, Father... On that fateful day, the time came for him to give up his life for our life. 700 years earlier, Lord Jesus, by your spirit, you placed it in the heart of your servant Isaiah, how that was to take place. And how you will be beaten beyond recognition. How the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. And Lord, you and you only God place our sins upon him. And Isaiah also told us that you would raise him from the dead. And 300 years before that, your servant David saw the agony of your son's heart upon the cross when he cried out my God, my God why have thou forsaken me Lord we know that you didn't forsake him because David gave us an entire chapter known as the 22nd Psalms on how you was right there with him all along And Father, you allow your Holy One, your Son Jesus, to give up the ghost, to lay down his life that day on Calvary. Not far from the same place that these men are gathered at right now, called the Mount of Olives. And there, Lord, where he died, he also rose again. And there, Lord, 40 days later, you ascended him on high. And having given him a name that's more excellent than that of the angels, were the very angels that came and announced his birth, the angels that announced his resurrection, those same angels were bowing before him. Saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and is to come, and worthy is the Lamb. That's what they're saying to him. That's what they're saying to you, Lord God. 
And these same men who are gathered at that hillside now are now eyewitnesses of the angels in person saying this to you and to your son Jesus. And Lord, we're grateful that you left us a word now so that we too can place our trust in your only begotten son, Jesus. And that we too, Father, we too will be gathered with the angels and we will cry out those same words in great adoration and praise and worship of your holy name and unto your Lamb. Have your way now by your Spirit as you speak profoundly life into our spirit as we are your living witnesses here upon the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Acts chapter 1. This is the physician Luke who's writing this letter to his dear friend Theophilus. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Uh, the letter here to Theophilus by Luke tells you and I that Luke had written Theophilus a previous letter. And that previous letter is known to you and I today as the Gospel of Luke. Theophilus was a Roman official. A Gentile who loved God and Lord Jesus with all of his heart. And he had heard bits and pieces about the life of Jesus here on earth and what God had done. And now Luke's saying, Theophilus, I am compiling the greatest evidence there is out there about Jesus Christ and his apostles and what they've done. Can you imagine getting a letter like that? And he begins with a great adoration and a great salutation and a great proclamation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in his opening statement. Luke gives us a glimpse into things that the other apostles did not write. Listen carefully in verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. He's talking about Jesus. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. If you were in, if you were in that crowd... If you were among the 12 or the 120 in that crowd, you would have been blown away by the words of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Because you would have remembered that in 
previous time, just weeks earlier in the upper room, Jesus had said that he was going to go and prepare a place for them. And after he told them that he who has my commandments and keep them is he who loved me. And he who loved me, he said, I will pray to the Father and that he will send another what? Comforter. What does that mean? Paracletus, another helper. It could be translated in many ways. But at the ending part of that statement to them that night in that upper room, he made this solemn promise to you and me through the apostles. Here's what he said. He said, I will not leave you orphans. That means I will not leave you fatherless. Well, how's that going to happen, Jesus? He said, when the comforter comes, he's going to take my place in the spirit. Well, you would know that I'm always with you. Okay, amen. And now he's reminding them of that promise that night. That not many days from now, not only am I going to send the Holy Ghost to you, but he's going to be in you. Uh oh. Very few prophets of old, very few people of old, of ancient times, had God's Spirit in them. One of them was King David. Another one, Isaiah. In fact, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 11 says that all of the prophets had the Spirit of Christ in them. All of them. Specifically, the Spirit of Christ himself spoke through the prophets. That means Jesus, every time Isaiah wrote something down, Jesus was talking. Every time Jeremiah wrote something down, Jesus was was talking. When Samuel wrote, Jesus was talking. Okay? When Jacob prophesied over his sons and blessed them, and we told Judah in Genesis chapter 49, I think verse 14, somewhere in there, he says, when Shiloh comes, he was talking about Jesus. So how was he speaking at Mark? He was speaking by the spirit of Jesus. Hundreds of years before the children of Israel came out of slavery. Now, the man, Luke, the man of God, has begun the writing of a new era. A new civilization is now upon the earth. And that new civilization is called the body of Christ. The kingdom of God. (laughs) Are you hearing this? And Luke is beginning to give the first history book on it. To old Theophilus, let me tell you this. So being assembled together, Jesus tells them to wait in Jerusalem. Verse 6, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Why, of all things, were the apostles asking Jesus this? Because they remember 
the preeminence that God had given Israel under King David. How God had brought the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom together and made them one. And under King David made them the most powerful dynasty on earth. Nobody bothered Israel in the days of David and got away with it. When David sat up on the throne those 40 years, nobody bothered Israel. They need a David now, don't they? <laughs> but they got a David coming that's greater than that David. Amen? Because David said, my God said to my God, sit here until I make your enemies your footstool. Amen. Glory to God. And so, they was wondering, Lord, because they had seen not only the resurrection power of Jesus, but they also seen them walk on water. And they watched him raise the dead and cast out demons and quiet the wind and the storm. Amen? Now, they figured if he can do all of this, Whoa, what better now than for him to establish the kingdom? Because the last greatest thing they seen him do was come back from the dead. They're going, that's it. Can nothing else be greater than this? Okay? Now it's time to ask him, are you going to put us back on top and get rid of the Romans? Okay? Now, in verse 7, the Lord responds and says, said to them, it is not for you to know times or season which the Father has put in his own authority. God has already laid out the plan of life for Israel. Amen. Just like he's already laid out the plan of life for you and me. But Jesus says, none of your business. What's going to happen today or tomorrow? It's God's business, not yours. Okay. Your responsibility is just live in the moment and enjoy God's presence and give God the glory with your life. That's what you're supposed to be doing and allowing your life to be a light to a dark world. That's what you need to be concerned with. There's greater works here to be worrying about. Is the kingdom going to be reestablished? People are dying and going to hell forever. Okay? He put their perspective in the right place. He set their priority. Okay, because look what he says after that. that. You don't have to worry about the times of the season, okay? For when the Father is put in his own authority. But what should happen here? This is what you need to be concentrating on. Verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Uh-oh. This word power is dunamis, where we get our word dynamite from. And Jesus said, an explosion is going to take place in your soul. Amen. Okay? within your spirit and you're going to be able to do things that you've never done before and they're going to go that's Emily Emily did that whoa look at him go go it wasn't me it was Jesus Amen. you mean Tim and Dick did that yeah whoa it wasn't me it was Jesus Amen. Shelly did what we know that wasn't Shelly <laughs> that was Jesus Amen. <laughs> okay so you get these extraordinary abilities and Jesus said, that's what you need to be focusing on because when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to turn you into another man. Now, hundreds of years earlier, God had done the same thing to a king named Saul. The prophet Samuel had told him, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, 
He's going to turn you into another man. And sure enough, old big bad mouth Saul. All of a sudden, the spirit of God came upon the king and the king began to prophesy. And what did the people say? Is Saul now one of the sons of the prophets? Because he was speaking things that he never spoke before. That's what God will do. Amen. Amen. But Jesus was telling these men, Whoa, wait until you see. Wait till the comforter comes. Okay? Wait till the Holy Spirit comes. Because you're going to get power not from earth, but from where? From heaven, from on high. That means it's directly from the throne of God. That means when there's power flowing from God, can't no power in the universe match it. Amen. That means no devil in hell can stop you. Amen. Okay? So this is powerful stuff. And Luke is sitting there writing his letter to his friend Theophilus. Can you imagine Theophilus now reading this? Because all of his life he'd been taught who had the power. The emperor. The emperor has the power to let you live or have you killed. There's no power like the Holy Ghost power. And Theophilus is sitting there, Mark, and he's reading this. Can you imagine what was going through his heart? And yes, as he's reading it, the Holy Ghost is probably touching him. Amen? And transforming that man even more into the image of God's son, Jesus. And so, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, what's so wonderful about this? It says you got to understand the territory here. You got to understand the geography and why the Lord put it like this. Jerusalem was the hub of all religion on earth. It is to be the seat of God. Are you hearing me? So things had to be set right first in Jerusalem. The other reason is that Jerusalem also was the killers of the prophets. That's what Lord Jesus said. He said, oh, you who kill the prophets... You remember at Jesus' crucifixion, prior to him being crucified, you remember the trial that took place before Pilate? What did the religious leaders say and the people said? Let his blood be on us and on our children. Whoa, that's pretty deep. They don't realize what kind of hell they just asked for to come down upon them. But the Lord Jesus Christ knew. And he wept. Yeah, remember prior to his crucifixion, he wept. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often have I longed for you and called you as a mother hen calls for her what? Her chicks. But you would not listen. You who kill the prophets. That's a pretty strong indictment. But God says, go to them first. Preach the gospel to them first. And then I want you to remember 
Judea. And by the way, Jerusalem is the capital of Judea, the southern kingdom. I mean, I want you to go outside of the walls of Jerusalem. And probably one of the first places the Lord Jesus Christ had in mind was the place where he was born. Called what? Bethlehem. And on downward, all the cities and villages around Judea, he said, go and give them the gospel. And then once you've done that, I want you to head north to Samaria. Well, Lord, you want us to go into Samaria? You betcha. Because remember now, Jews didn't have no dealing with the Samaritans. We've seen that in the case with the woman at the well. She even made that statement to Jesus. She was surprised he was talking to her. Okay? But he said, I want you to go into Samaria. I want you to go to, pardon the, 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 the language of today, Mark, pardon it. Not mean to be sexist or racist. He said, but go to the half-breeds. Because that's what Samaritans were. They were half Jews and half others. Okay? And people today call them half-breeds or mix or whatever they want to call them today. Biracial and all other kinds of crazy names rather than calling them people. But Jesus said, you go to them. And the Jews even had a deeper hatred for the Samaritans because about 150 years earlier, when this crazy leader came through Jerusalem conquering, he had the Samaritans take the pig blood and pour it on the altar in the temple. And that furiated the Jews. So understand, Jesus knows what he's doing. Then he said, then you go out and hit the Gentiles. Because that's what the rest of the world is. Okay? But you can't do this by yourself. You're going to need great power from on high to accomplish this mission. And so God got it. In Jesus' name, touch your father. Look. In verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Ladies and gentlemen, at this point in time in history, the apostles are now alone. They are now alone on the earth. Everything that Lord Jesus had taught them for the past three and a half years now must come to head. There are no longer infants, Emily. They must now walk as adult Christian men and women. But the Lord Jesus Christ, even though <clears throat> a cloud received them, out of, received them out of their sight, they were not alone. Amen. The Father was watching over them. Because if you don't believe me, go to John chapter 17 and read Jesus' last prayer prior to his crucifixion with the twelve. And you will see that in that prayer, Jesus is praying that God had protected every one of them. He said, all those that you've given me, I have lost none except what? One, the son of perdition, which means son of destruction. And so God is at work here. 
what you have to do now at this point in time is look at what was about to happen as these men stood there on that hillside. What was taking place in the atmosphere? What had just happened? What just came through the gates of heaven all the way here to earth? What happened on that pathway? You have to look and pay attention to the scriptures. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two what? Two men stood by them in white apparel. Folks, what was about to be said next was a preparation for the days to come. This is what everything in life is all about. Watch this now. Because not only did Jesus go this way, these angels came that way in passing. Watch the, watch the image now. So there they in white a pair who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will also or will so come in like manner as you have seen him go. Where? Into heaven. What does that mean? What does that mean, Chrissy? What does that mean, Miss Marie? What does that mean, Shelley? What does that mean, Tamara, for you and me today as men and women of God? What does that mean? That means that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is coming back again. And the job of the apostles is to prepare the world for Jesus' return. Amen. That is the commission. And the angels are reminding them of why they exist. And that's why the Holy Ghost was coming in a few days to prepare these men to prepare the world for this day. The angel just told them the same Jesus that you saw going to heaven on the clouds is going to come back the same way. And the world must be ready. Amen. And it's your job to get them ready. That's what he's saying. It's, it's right there. It's right there. The sons of God have just appeared to men once again. The morning stars that they're calling Job, the angels. And I was sitting here thinking, Dick, earlier that in Daniel chapter 7, it tells you that there's myriads upon myriads upon myriads of angels coming with the Ancient of Days. And then there was one on the clouds like the Son of Man. I was wondering if it was this moment when Jesus ascended back to heaven. There the angels met him and they escorted him to his father. And there the father gives him the kingdom. I'm wondering if that, if this, you know, all of it has been completed. The ancient of days gives his son a kingdom that will have no end. And it says, and it shall not be defeated. It says it in Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 9. And so the angels are telling them, 
And I imagine as Luke is penning this, Theophilus is getting a mind's eye picture of what this looked like. As these men stood on the side of the mountain, a short distance away from where the Lord was crucified, and they watched him go into heaven. Can you imagine being with your best friend, the one that you really love so much, and all of a sudden he begins to levitate in front of you and rise up? Just the scene alone would blow your mind. And he began to go higher and higher until a cloud engulfs him. And then he's no more. He's gone. Wow. They were not at his birth, Clinton. They were not in that stable. This was not a subtle moment. He didn't come. He didn't leave in the stealth of the night as he came, Clinton. He was in broad daylight. And I wonder as the apostles watched him go, did other people on that hillside watching saw him too, Mark? But just as sure they saw him. And keep in mind, he wasn't in spirit. He was in physical Body. Human. Human. I don't know any of you all ever done that before. Come on up here and show us how it's done. (laughs) (laughs) And so here we are. This has never happened on earth before that a man all of a sudden goes up in the air. Nothing's lifting him up. And he's talking to you. Nowadays, we use jetpacks and all other kind of things, but what goes up must come down. He didn't come down. And it's been almost 2,000 years. He ain't come down. And they ain't find his body on the hillside, did they, Mark? No. So, but the angel, this is what the Holy Ghost showed me. He said, Samuel, The nucleus of the gospel is to get the people ready for this moment. He's coming back again. That's what the angel says. And folks, in the interim, these men needed some power because they had a work to do. We have a very powerful army, and we've done a lot of amazing things on earth. And we have literally moved mountains. Isn't that right, Mark? We've moved armies. We've moved cities with our military. We can't do nothing like this. The military does not have the ability to do what the apostles had to do. Are you hearing me? These men had to fight forces. Those angels came through the heavenlies. Do you know what's in the heavenlies? Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, it is the home of demons. 
these angels had to come through the heavenlies. And I know it's one they didn't mess with when he was going back through it, and they didn't mess with Lord Jesus. <laughs> Everything got out of the way. Are you hearing me? Oh, y'all sit back and y'all look at scripture and go, oh boy, God wants you to know what's going on. Am I allowed up here? I have a right to be. <laughs> Shall I need to be woken up anyway? And so, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey, which was a little less than a mile. Because according to the Pharisees, if they walked any further, they were working on the Sabbath. So let's just let you and I know that this was on a Saturday. Y'all hear me? On a Saturday. Because the Sabbath is a Saturday. And so they come back from that hillside, from that mountain. Oh, by the way, the same mountain that Jesus went up was the same one that Abraham was going to kill his son Isaac, known as Mount Moriah. And so here they are. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Hmm. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot. Oh, by the way, he would have been considered a terrorist of his day if he had been living now, right? And Judas, the son of James. These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication. I don't miss their link here now, everybody. Look at the rest of the story. With the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. Whew. Now you got to understand why this is so important to know. Why did God feel a need to let the world know that Jesus' mother and his brothers also were there? Well, you got to go back to John chapter 7 and see. See how his brothers rebelled against him. And throughout the gospel, you will see that when Jesus was performing miracles in Nazareth, his own brothers would come with the crowd and say, he's out of his mind. What are you doing, Jesus? You lost your mind. Because the scripture said in John 7 that they didn't believe in him. And you know what he did? He put him in the same category of the world. He said, you go up, for the world does not hate its own. Ooh, that was pretty bad. And now we see them listed here among the apostles. God got a way of turning people's lives around, doesn't he? Amen. Amen. Jesus interceded for his brothers. And you, just in case you didn't know it, they wrote two books of the Bible. One is the book of James. And what's the other one? Jude, known as Judas. 
You got it. Those of Jesus' brother, Mary's sons. But God give glory to Mary here. Do you see that? He distinguished her among women by naming her. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, number of names were about 120. And said, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas. All right. And if in case you want to look those up, that's in Psalm 69, verse 25 and Psalms 109, verse 8. Look what look what David by the Holy Ghost says. It said, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus for he was numbered with us and attained a part in his ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and fallen headlong. He burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. What does that mean? I'm glad you asked. That means his guts came out. Yeah. Yeah. He hung himself. And somehow the rope broke, or the limb broke, and when he hit the ground, his stomach bust open, and all of his stuff came out. And it may not have been completely dead. That may have finished him. We don't know, do we? Watch this. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem so that the field is called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, fill of blood. That's Aramaic, by the way. That's not Greek. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it. Okay, that's the first Psalms. In Psalm 69, you'll find that written. And let another take his office. That's in Psalms 109. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. In other words, what Peter just said, in order for the person, the qualification for the person to take Judas's place, it has to be this. He had to be there when John the Baptist first said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He had to be an eyewitness of that. And stayed with them all the way to the time in which Jesus was raised from the dead. Peter said he had to have that intimate working knowledge. Okay? In order to take the place. He had to know just as much as the apostles. Amen? So, what did they do? Verse 23. And they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that it might go to its own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the eleven apostles. What is casting lots? It's when they take a stone with a number on it, and they put it in a jar, and they shake it up. Like a ballot. Like a ballot. 
And whatever number comes out, they feel because no man hand touched it, this was the decree of God. And that is the one that God had chosen. And so the number fell on Matthias. Because evidently both men had witnessed what the apostles had said. And now the gap has been filled. The void is no longer there. There are now 12 apostles. And Judah's name is not now listed on the 12 foundations in the new city called Jerusalem. That's listed in Revelation 21. Matthias' name is. Isn't that sad to have your name removed and somebody else's name put in? Wow. And it may not have been that in the first place. So you see that what Luke is writing, he just wrote the epilude for the church. Not epilude, prelude, shall I say, for the church. Never before had anyone given such a detailed account about Lord Jesus. And notice now what this man is going to do. In the next sermon, you will see God fulfill his promise of sending the Holy Ghost. And from that moment forward, those men will be spiritually mature to go out and preach the gospel. They had been doing it all along as apprentices under Jesus. Remember, he sent them out what? By what? Two by two. Now, they get their branch out on their own. Scary feeling. Just like me telling Shelly, I want you to go up three blocks and turn left and go down five blocks and turn right and go up one block. And then I want you to preach the gospel to the people at that, at that uh, garage by the restaurant. But that's what I just described to you. So now it's time. The father now has put in his hand for these men to be out on their own. What about you? And what about me? And a new year. You think maybe Father has put in his hand for something for you and I? Yes, he has. But you got to seek the Lord yourself. You got to ask Lord Jesus, what is it that you have in store for me today? Who is it you want me to talk to? What is it you want me to do? How do you want us to move forward? I do know this. God don't want us to stay the same this year. We're going to change by the Holy Ghost. And it may cause a great inconvenience too for us. Nothing so wonderful ever came without birth pains. Are you hearing me? But he will see us through it. So I wonder how long it took Theophilus to read this letter to 
us is 28 chapters. The fastest I've ever read through it was like three hours. Theophilus may have taken days because he wanted to absorb and digest every bit what the Holy Spirit had just wrote to him. How would you like to get a personal letter from God like that? And you are a Gentile. This is not a Jewish person, Theophilus. He's a Gentile. He got two letters that's in the book of the Bible with his name on them. Addressed to him. But God does. God does have a letter for you, Mark. Here it is. This is the letter of God to the human race. Right here. I want you to ask yourself this question. The angels told those men that Jesus were coming back again. I mean, those men were ready. If he would have turned around and came back 30 seconds later, they were ready. The 120, they were ready. Okay? And praise be to God, they were obedient men. Because we exist today as his disciples. So along the way, literally billions have been made disciples of Jesus Christ because of their obedience. Okay, being the true witnesses of Jesus Christ as the Holy Ghost made them. The question today, whether you have tattoos or earrings in your ears or are bald-headed and fat and tall and black, what, what, what are you going to do to prepare people like the angel said? The same Jesus that you see going to heaven. Likewise, he shall return. So what are you going to do? Because the Holy Spirit that entered those men 10 days later is the same Holy Spirit that entered us and brought salvation to us from Lord Jesus. Those men went to work. We're the evidence. This written blessed book is the evidence that those men went to work. And you want to know, Clinton? Some of them were professional men. In their day, there would have been a Dollar General. Okay? Whatever occupation you have. A great outdoors. Because the scripture says that they were fishermen. Some of them were fishermen. Some of them may have been farmers. Some were gangsters. Simon the Zealot. He was a gangster. Hey, Lord Jesus, come here. Follow me. And he came. A gangster. Who's telling me God can't save a terrorist? He did. And so you see... There was mothers in that crowd too. So y'all are not excused either. Jesus' mother was in that crowd. You don't think she didn't tell people about her baby? Hmm? So mamas? And it says women. 
So you ladies, don't use your agenda in your parenthood of saying, I can't do this. Because you can. Amen? I don't know where you're lined up with the Lord Jesus Christ right now, and I'm getting ready to pray, and we're going to close out. But you know. You know where you are if you've been living for Jesus or if you've been perpetrating a fraud. I, I don't know. I'm not accusing you. I'm just laying it out there. It's not my job to accuse you. But let me encourage you with every head bow now. You allow the Spirit to examine your heart. You ask Lord Jesus, say, Lord Jesus, am I living for you? Am I being faithful? Have I done everything that Holy Spirit has asked me to do of you? If that answer, if any of those questions, if the answer is no, then you need to ask Jesus to forgive you and ask him to help you repent of that and to empower you once again to go forth. Give you another chance. Give you another opportunity. I know I have. Oh, Lord, I do it all the time. Father, I failed you on this one. The other night when I was laying on my face before God on your behalf, I said, Father, in many ways I failed them because I failed you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, that's a big burden to carry, being the pastor, witness of Christ's ministry. You've given this ministry a great reputation, Lord Jesus. With such few people. But Lord, I'm not, I don't think I'm sufficient to be the leader that you want me to be for them. I failed them. Because I don't show them your face every day. And that's failing. I want them to see you, Lord Jesus. I want them to feel your presence. I want them to know you intimately. And deeply care for you. So that's my prayer, Father, today. For Mark, for Tamara, for Clinton, for Shelley, for Chrissy, for Deacon Amelia, for Emily, for Sister Vicky, for the children next door in Belinda. My prayers for everyone that comes, Lord Jesus, that they would see you and love you with all their hearts and submit to your will. That's all I want, Lord. We don't care about reputation. We care about you. So by your spirit, Father, will you anoint us now for that? And we allow others to come and join in with us? Because we can't do this work by ourselves. We know the Holy Spirit is calling. And the labors are few. And we're asking that you send one more to join us, Lord. And then another and another, Lord. Because the work is plentiful. Will you do that now, Father? Lord Jesus, will you now send laborers to join us? And will you give us the resources to go forth, Lord? A new building, new everything, Lord. But most important, Father, new souls that we can share your gospel with. Bless them now, Lord. Bless this town. Bless your people. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. To God be the glory. I wish I'd have gotten a letter like that. I wish I could have been, you know, but vicariously we we are 
We have gotten a letter like that from the Lord. It's my grandbaby <laughs> waking up. God bless you. Deacon Clinton closes out in prayer. And we'll be done. Michelle is going 15 minutes early? Thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done for us. Thank you for the message today. Um, please help us look at ourselves to see a way that we could better serve you. Um, please stay with us as we go from this building. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.